According to a report last year from eMarketer, U.S. adults spent an average of three hours and 35 minutes a day on mobile devices in the year 2018. I mean, duh. Like, we know this, right? But still, you see that and you're like, damn, that's over 25 hours a week spent with our necks bent over our little black mirrors. That's like each of us having a second or third job, but it's not paid. But honestly, I mean, even that, that's hardly news. We know this. And honestly, there's part of me that's like, do I want to actively fill those 25 hours? When I think about when I use my phone in a non-work capacity, it's really to escape, to relax my adult brain, to procrastinate a little bit, to check in on how y'all are doing on social media. I mean, is that such a bad thing? What if it's not? What if it's just what we need right now? What if it's just part of coping with the unbearable lightness of being alive in 2019? I guess I started to get curious. In fact, I've always been curious about this. Am I really missing out on something major during those 25 hours of screen time each and every week? And really, just how badly do I want to find out? If you know me, you know that this topic has bothered me for a long time. And while I've made huge progress on my social media usage, I still have this nagging suspicion that it's got a bigger hold on me that I would like to admit. But I also have a nagging suspicion that I can be really hard on myself and that You know, if I feel like anything is an indulgence, I'm immediately suspicious of it. So which is it? Are those 25 hours much needed self-indulgent rest? Or are they something else, something closer to addiction? So when Cal Newport's new book, Digital Minimalism, Choosing a Focused Life in a Noisy World came out, I grabbed it and devoured it. I love Cal Newport. I loved deep work. I thought it was brilliant. But in Digital Minimalism, Cal Newport defines addiction as, quote, a condition in which a person engages in use of a substance or in a behavior for which the rewarding effects provide a compelling incentive to repeatedly pursue the behavior despite detrimental consequences, end quote. Rewarding effects, detrimental consequences. But that's the thing. I don't know that I have a good handle on what those, quote, detrimental consequences are. In fact, I don't know that any of us do. About the same time as I was reading Digital Minimalism, I heard an interview on the Goop podcast, which I, of course, love. And it was an interview with Dr. Judson Brewer based on his book, The Craving Mind. And during the interview, Dr. Brewer said something along the lines of, there's a difference between feeling excitement and feeling joy or happiness. And I heard that and a light went off in my head. I reach for my phone because it delivers a delicious little hit of stimulation and just sometimes a little excitement. But rarely, and I mean rarely, does my phone deliver me joy or real happiness. But even more interesting than that realization was this one. Am I actively and consciously choosing between joy versus excitement during those extra 25 hours a week? Of course not. In fact, I feel like my ability to distinguish between stimulation or excitement versus joy is getting weaker. And that to me sounds a lot like a detrimental consequence because if I'm losing my capacity to differentiate between joy and excitement, I'm losing my capacity to create a joy-filled life. 
Yikes. So Cal Newport suggests a full 30-day digital detox, sort of decluttering process. And what I liked about his plan and approach wasn't that he's suggesting we become hairy, smelly, cave-dwelling monks, raving and ranting that the end is nigh. He's just suggesting we take a break from what he calls optional technology to get a bit of perspective so that we can return to that optional technology and use it based on intention, a kind of self-created philosophy of technology use. In his words, we could ask ourselves, what will I allow, for what reasons, and under what constraints? The goal of the course is to support a life well-lived, and he suggests that just the act of being intentional is in and of itself satisfying. And I got to tell you, I agree with that. I second that emotion. I love feeling intentional. I just do. So I decided August was going to be my detox month, and I made a list of what I considered optional technologies. And that list was pretty simple. It was just Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, that kind of thing. I don't use Twitter because I find the Twitter sphere full of angry, strange conversations, and I'm just not into it. But social media generally tends to be the reason I reach for my phone reflexively, or I guess what I use when I reach for my phone reflexively. So literally, it took like 30 seconds to delete these apps from my desktop. I mean, my phone, whatever you call it. What is the phone? It's called a desktop, right? Anyway, and I had my wonderful social media person change all of my passwords, shout outs to Katie, so that only she could access my account and post what needed to be post to promote the episode that needed promoting during August, right? And if somebody needed like help right away, she could answer it because I didn't want to leave everybody hanging during the month if they had a question for me, but I needed some parameters. So I set my start date for August 1. And my goal was this, by August 30th, I would have a decision around whether to use these optional technologies. I mean, honestly, in the back of my mind, I'm like, what if I shouldn't be on social media? What if it's bad for me? I wanted space to kind of explore that question. And if by the end of that period, I ended up deciding to keep using social media, I wanted a strategy for how and when I'd use it. The hope being that by September 1, I would simply reintroduce what I feel belongs in my world and ditch the rest and use technology according to my newly minted principles. I mean, it seems straightforward enough, not easy, but kind of juicy. Like that's the kind of thought experiment I'm into. So I decided that was gonna be my plan. But I have to say there was one major buyer beware warning that Cal Newport recommends we we investigate before we start this detox. And that is this, you need to plan for how you're gonna spend your extra time because 25 hours a week is a lot of time. And the people that tended to fail the detox that he initially ran, this detox experiment, the people that failed were the ones that didn't have a plan for those empty hours, right? And so for the reader, he had a bunch of practices that he wanted the reader to consider before starting out on the detox. Practices that support ways to fill that space and my two, I think there's just two that I love, but the two, there was like seven or nine or something. The first one that I really got me was spend time alone in silence. Ah! It turns out that we are now growing the very first generation of human beings who are deprived of solitude and of silence. 
So there's a whole generation of kids who literally don't know what to do with themselves when they have open, unstructured time without some kind of device or play date or sport or activity. Just let that sink in for a second. The kids that will inherit the greatest environmental crisis of humankind are the ones who don't have access to open space for thinking, dreaming, and inventing. I mean, (laughs) double yikes, right? But even for myself, the thought of structured solitude really kind of scared me and excited me at the same time. Like, wow, no music? No nothing? Just me, my thoughts, and I? Oh, God. So that kind of grabbed me. I wanted to experiment with that during my detox. And the other thing I wanted to experiment with this concept that he calls reclaiming leisure time. And so at his recommendation, I made a list of leisure activities that I would consider high quality, as he calls them. Activities that yields either a skill or a heightened emotional state or something that's like additive to your life. And my list included things like play more guitar, learn more words in Italian, work in my garden, read good books, stuff like that. And I had to keep that list handy in case I like had a freak out and didn't know what to do with myself and decided to screw the whole thing and just reach for my phone and get on Instagram. And then I just, I just dropped out. I dropped out of social media and it was weird. It was weird being on vacation in a foreign country because I was in London when my experiment began. It was weird not reporting on how the trip was going. I mean, I've done that before. I've gone off social media for vacations. In fact, I like doing that. But when I come back, I always do a little recap of you know what I did and how it was and fabulous pictures once I'm back on again. But knowing I wasn't going to report back and curate my experience for the consumption of others, that was weird. I mean, if a trip to Europe isn't posted all over social media, did it even really happen? And here's the thing. I could literally spend the next two hours telling you all of the little things like that that I learned but I fear that that would only be interesting to me. So instead, I'm going to give you a few snapshots, like moments that held kind of big learnings for me. And the first big learning, and I learned it pretty freaking quickly, is that social media, it turns out, isn't actually the problem. Because guess what happens when you delete Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn? You just replace the scrolling with something else, with NewYorkTimes.com or Amazon or compulsively checking email. Here's an example. As I was writing and dreaming and reflecting on what I was learning during my detox and pulling together my notes that I made during the time, I tried to observe how things were hitting me and then writing it down and writing it down just so I would have it to pull from when I ended up you know, making this podcast. And as I was doing that one day, I had this thought and the thought went like this. This is lame. Nobody cares about your little detox and not one single person is going to listen to this podcast, let alone change their relationship to technology because of it. You're just another self-absorbed, preachy little bitch, murmuring bullshit into everybody's ears. That was what, as Ben Kiker calls it, my insane thought generator. That was the story it came up with. And on the heels of that thought or those thoughts came this overwhelming urge to pick up my phone. Why? Because that thought is mortifying. It's paralyzing and it could be true. And I would way rather check email or scroll through to see what insane new thing President Trump said today than deal with the very real possibility that nobody cares, nobody's listening, and no one will ever investigate their own reliance on optional technology. 
So going back to Cal Newport's definition of addiction, in that moment, the rewarding effects of reaching for my phone were that I'd get to avoid the terror of facing the main fear I have about producing this podcast. That's what I gain for reaching from the phone, right? I get to avoid facing something I am deeply afraid of, which also means I don't do the work, right? Podcast didn't get made if I indulge in that rewarding effect of avoiding my fear. But the detrimental consequences to my indulging in the rewarding effects of reaching for my phone is that by giving into fear and self-doubt, I violate my own sense of integrity and my deep desire to teach what it is I learn while I'm in earth school, right? Which is literally the whole point of this freaking podcast. Another detrimental consequence is that I let fear win. I stop making content, not because I'm tired or I'm uninspired. I stop making content because I'm afraid. And people, that is not who I am or why I came into this skin suit. So while reaching for the phone helps me feel better short-term, it undermines my whole reason for being alive. I am a student and I am a teacher and the rest is just window dressing. And saying that out loud makes me feel so good and so convicted and so on track. And those words remind me that like, as this body ages, my hair turns gray and my face becomes what feels like a shriveled apple. None of that matters because I will always be a student and I will always be a teacher. And even when I lose my capacity to teach, I'll still be on the path of being a student of life. And that thought makes me stoked. And that thought makes me strong. And what I learned by listening to that voice of fear and self-doubt is this. I don't need to reach for my phone. I need to learn to stand up to that voice. So instead of reaching for my phone, I can say to that voice, fuck off. (laughs) Or as Beyonce would say, stop interrupting my grind. And I stole that phrase from my best friend, Naomi, who loves using it, which is just so appropriate in this space. But I can channel Beyonce I can say what Freedom says, that freaking awesome song. I break my chains all by myself. I won't let my freedom rot in hell. I'ma keep running because a winner don't quit on themselves. How about that? Freedom! (laughs) And the reason I walk you through this is because this represents, I think, some of the psychological battles we might be doing every day if we didn't run from them and into the arms of our devices. And while these psychological battles are kind of embarrassing and they're definitely not fun, they are precisely the kinds of experiences that make us resilient and capable and creative. That story I just told you is one of hundreds or thousands of moments I had during the detox. And that particular story was about a fear attack. But I had moments where I wanted to reach for my phone to avoid feeling a deep pang of nostalgia, or better said in Japanese, mono no aware, which translated means the poignancy and sadness of transient things. That's another phrase I borrowed from my friend Naomi. I was literally at a stoplight one day and Boys of Summer by Don Henley was on some easy listening channel I was listening to. And I was hit by this huge wave of sadness, of sweet sadness, remembering my girlfriends and I flying around Laguna Niguel, making our way to Salt Creek Beach with the windows down, our hair flying around and singing Janet Jackson at the top of our lungs. And that beautiful joy-filled memory was sparked by Don Henley singing, you know, you know that song, I can see you, your brown skin shining in the sun. 
you got your hair pulled back and those sunglasses on, baby. And there I was sitting at the corner of Meridian and Kurtner, and I am crying. There's big, fat tears rolling down my face, remembering those incredible friends that I'm still friends with and how free those afternoons were. And now normally, that entire experience would have been avoided because I'd have just grabbed my phone and pushed aside that ache. Or as Don Henley tries to tell himself, don't look back. You can never look back. And when I grab my phone, I'm avoiding looking back. Or how about this one? One afternoon, I was so incredibly fried, so spent. Uh, It was like four o'clock, which is my hour of crashing. I think it's everybody's hour of crashing. But normally I would just zone out on Instagram and then drag myself out of that stupor to throw some dinner together. But without Instagram, I needed some other way to unfry my brain. So I got comfortable, put on my headphones, closed my eyes, and listened to the Rain Song by Led Zeppelin. And I mean really listened. And what happens when you close your eyes and you got good headphones and you listen to the Rain Song, man, you hear the different movements in that song. And I just felt awe listening to Jimmy Page take a tiny two-note guitar riff and just make it ache. And I saw in my mind's eye a young Robert Plant working in the recording studio, singing through the seasons of his love, which is what that song's all about. And I was just overwhelmed by the beauty of the composition and the sparseness of the lyrics and the arrangement. And I wondered if they knew they had a masterpiece as they laid that sucker down in the studio. And it made me feel the weight of it. And it made me think about how I'm in the late summer, if not fall, of my own season of life. I'm not in winter yet, but I can see it. I can see it coming. And I thought about how in this season of fall, I'm shedding layers of myself. I'm saying goodbye to people who are leaving the winter of their lives as I bid farewell to my father when he died, said goodbye to a dear friend. It made me feel that swell of gratitude that I've been, you know, living this life of privilege, full of love and abundance and grief and loss, or as Zorba the Greek would say, the whole catastrophe. What a feeling that was in that moment. And was that feeling fun? No, but it felt right and it felt rich and it felt necessary. These moments I've described to you share that same characteristic. These moments of being all in my feelings made me feel more human, more real, less like the wooden puppet being, you know, manhandled by a puppet master and more like a real boy, a real person. And to me, losing out on those opportunities to feel, that is too great of a loss for me to warrant. And that is probably the biggest quote-unquote detrimental consequence I was able to identify during these past 30 days. I'm convinced that so much of our success in this lifetime is determined by our ability to work with, process, and channel our own emotions. If we can't emotionally regulate, we can't get very far. If we don't get our black belts in fear management, we can't achieve. If we can't work with and appreciate the sweet pain of nostalgia and loss, we will never learn to savor the moments we still have. If we can't really lean into awe and wonder, we miss out on the unbelievable beauty of this lifetime. And listen, putting on my coaching hat for a second, 
If we can't tap into emotions and become familiar with that internal landscape we all carry around, we can't move other people emotionally, which is necessary if we hope to influence or inspire people. One of the most heartbreaking parts of Cal Newport's book was when he talked about the probable connection between solitude deprivation and these alarming rates of anxiety and depression and suicide among young people. He says, quote, when an entire cohort unintentionally eliminated time alone with their thoughts from their lives, their mental health suffered dramatically. On reflection, this makes sense. These teenagers have lost the ability to process and make sense of their emotions or to reflect on who they are and what really matters or to build strong relationships or even just to allow their brains time to power down their critical social circuits, which are not meant to be used constantly and to redirect that energy to other important cognitive housekeeping skills. We shouldn't be surprised that these absences lead to malfunctions. But that's a thing, you guys. It's not just teenagers who are losing their ability to process and make sense of their emotions or reflect on who they are and what matters or just allow themselves to power down. It's not just the teenagers. It's all of us. And here's what I know for sure. Part of the human experience is learning to grapple with and work with those emotions. We've got to learn to do jujitsu with shame and fear and grief or whatever the hell it is. This is how we become fully actualized human beings, capable of contributing to the world. They are the skills required for living a full life. And yet these are the very skills we are avoiding exercising by having mood-altering glass devices within arm's reach right? All right. I know I'm preaching. So, okay. It's September. Did I come up with my plan? Am I living my best intentional technology life? I mean, listen, I'm doing my best. I came up with a mantra for how I would use optional technology. And the mantra goes like this, ready? Real life is more interesting than virtual life, but virtual life is really compelling. So I protect my real life while still enjoying virtual life. And the way I do that is by doing a few things. One, I visit my iPhone versus having my iPhone with me all the time. During my creative time every morning, my iPhone goes into the liquor cabinet. <laughs> I'm, I'm not kidding. That's where I put it. And when all of my creative work is done for the day, I visit my phone and I check two things. I check texts and I check emails. And if there is nothing to deal with, I put it back into the liquor cabinet. Then I walk back into my office and I do phase two of the day, which is busy work, or I go exercise wherever the hell the day requires. I highly recommend this approach to living with your phone. You will literally not believe how much you get done when nothing is interrupting you. That's the first thing. The second thing is that I've just set up some rules around my social media. I post to social media when I have something to say. And then once a day, I enjoy a 15 minute scroll session to catch up on what everybody's doing, which I set an actual timer for. But here's the clincher. At the end of the 15 minutes, I have to process and identify what I'm feeling because trust and believe, my friends, social media is making us feel things and they're not always good. Sometimes they're good, but sometimes they're not. So for me, processing means I'll write in my journal like, wow, okay, I did my 15 minutes of scrolling and right now I feel really good because I got some fan mail, which was awesome. Or right now I'm feeling like shit because it looks like everybody's having a great day and I literally had the worst day ever. 
right? But just seeing it written down allows me to notice the feeling and do whatever I need to do to move that feeling through my body. Because it turns out I like social media. In fact, I love it. I love knowing what you guys are up to. I love being connected with people listening to this podcast. It makes my heart sing. It's powerful. It's powerful magic, that social media. And I got to have some rules around it. So that's that. Next on my list, I've set up my life to include solitude. And instead of listening to a podcast while I'm walking my dog, I try and be alone with my thoughts for 45 minutes walking that dog. It's hard. And then it's not. And then it's actually fantastic. But the first 10 minutes, it's pretty hard. But I find that I'm doing better work now that I have more solitude to myself. Lastly, I have rediscovered music. I now use music as the main way I work with the emotions that come up for me during the day. Because I find that music bypasses my rational brain because I'll feel something and then my rational brain would say, you shouldn't be sad about that. That's stupid. Or grow up. Are you really afraid of that? or any of the mean things I say to myself when I feel something. And so one of the things I've started to do is I'm making Spotify playlists (laughs) to help with whatever emotion is happening. And the main playlist I've got up and running so far, and you're welcome to subscribe. I'm Bronwyn Selling Benny on Spotify. And I have a list called For When I'm Scared. And I listen to that when I start to feel that sense of fear creeping up, my inner mean girl creeping up, I fire up my When I'm Scared list. And it works. It's really amazing. So yeah, there's a couple things I took from it. And there was a million benefits that I didn't even get to tell you because there there are too many to name. Like I got so much better at guitar over the past 30 days. I read so many good books, which I will be blogging about in December. Not only did I pick up some Italian words, I started picking up other words. I started going deeper into the Japanese language and they have so many amazing words that say extraordinary things in one word. I mean, there's too many things to even contemplate. So yeah, I mean, you could say I answered the main question I had going to this project. I figured out what I was missing out on during the 25 hours a week I spent on optional technology. But even more than that, I realized that that was the wrong frame of the wrong issue. And it led me to wonder if the question shouldn't be, what am I choosing to fill those 25 hours up with? But that wasn't even quite it either. What I realized it came down to is this. Life has a whole lot to offer us, but we have to make space for it. We have to make space for mystery and magic and emotion and realization and aha moments. We have to sit in the void and wait patiently for that whisper of inspiration or that moment of experience to show up. As Cheryl Strayed says, we have to put ourselves in the way of beauty, which often means just being okay with doing nothing at all or noticing nothing at all or noticing the feels. It can really just be as simple as being open. And that's what this detox taught me. My new intention is to be open to life. And inside of that openness will be everything I need. And more than a few things that I couldn't have even imagined. And that is exactly as it should be. So I want to leave you with these questions. Are you curious to see what rushes in to fill the void created by putting the phone down? Are you brave enough to create an opening in your life and patient enough to sit with 
whatever rushes into that opening. If you are, magic awaits, I promise. Shine on, you crazy diamonds. I'll see you next time. <laughs> 